You ready, Jimbo? Yes, I'm ready. Old stories like long lost friends. Rodeos and late night bends. History before our time. Round pens and pasture rides. Cowboys of the Osage. Woo, Jimbo, can you believe that? We st- I still can't believe we got our own theme song. Someone, someone took hear. the time to write that oh, for us. And uh, we sure do appreciate that. Who the fuck it? Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson <laughs> Jimbo, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in Pahuska, Oklahoma. It's Ocody over here, and as always, I have my co-host with me, Mister Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Hey, Jimbo. Good morning. Good to see you. Who do we have today? Hey, Cody boy. It's just another great day in the Osage, man. And uh, Cody, we've got eight-time NFR qualifier. Alan Keller with us today. Three times in the Bulldogging, five times in the steer roping. He was world's champion steer roper in 1972. And uh, he set the all-time money at that time, the all-time money earning for a steer roper in 1972. Set the arena record at Cheyenne in 1972. And uh, he was uh, an All-American wrestler in college. Uh, he worked the very first. He was in the arena during the very first NFR when it went to Vegas in 1985. So he's got a lot of stories there. He worked for Benny Binion and uh, just a real, and he's in some movies too. So you talk, talk about an interesting cat. Now we got him today. And uh, Alan, welcome to the Cowboys, the Osage podcast, man. Yes, sir. Alan, what got you started in road? Your dad was a stock contractor, right? Yes, for a few years in the 50s. A friend of his, I wanted to quit, so uh, my dad bought him out there for a few years in the 50s. Um, It was mainly local western Colorado. Right. Seven, Seven, eight, ten rodeos a year. Right. Was that so? I'm presuming that's where you developed your interest for rodeo. Well, my dad was a you know a ranch guy, and um, he and a couple of his friends they uh, rode calves, rode wild cows, the Bronx, the whole deal. What them old timers used to do, and. I just kind of raised around it, and uh, my dad had a stallion for the U.S. remount with Calvary and raised raised a lot of horses in the mountains. Uh, They farmed 500 acres, and they had to have a lot of horses back in 1900. And they'd just turn them loose. They'd go from here to Utah. And they had some traps up there, and he'd catch them whenever he could. But I was raised around it. 
I remember going to Durango in the 46 pickup over the million dollar highway. And old timers, when they learned to go from horse and wagon to those pickups that didn't have much engine, engine in them, you go over the mountains, they'd be leaning back and forth trying to get a little more out of the truck <laughs> like they were riding a horse. I've done that before, too, Jimbo. <laughs> and uh, that Monte Vista over there, I was about 11. First time I met Casey Tibbs, and I remember the Combs brothers had Baby Doll there. Yeah. Rodeo was quite a little bit different back then. Well, that's some rodeo history there, Baby Doll and Casey Tibbs. That's big time yeah. right there. Yes. What do you remember about Casey Tibbs when you were a kid? Well, you know, Casey was quite a character. He was always pulling jokes. So the day he passed away, he was always cutting up a little bit. And uh, I got to know him all real good when I was about college, I drove him and Bill Goodtimes Pedersen from Casper to Deadwood to the rodeo and in uh, in the 60s and uh, wherever you went with Casey, there was always some excitement. <laughs> so you were driving you were driving him in uh, Federson, you said? Yeah, him and uh, Bill Federson. Bill Federson's truck. I was, I was tear wrestling, and I drove him up to Deadwood, South Dakota. And of course, Casey, you know, he was a legend everywhere you went. Especially he, South Dakota, I would think. Yeah. Hey, what oh. about the the U.S. Cavalry stud y'all had? You just kind of touched on that for a second. There's a lot of people that's never even heard of someone standing a stud for the U.S. Cavalry. Did you guys stand that horse a stud for the Cavalry, the, the U.S. Army? Yes, his name was Nasby. I got his papers kind of framed here. They they sent him to my dad from uh, the military in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And it was just address Morrow's, Colorado. Uh, it was back in the 40s, 50s. And uh, they were trying to get a little more of that draft horse out of the... Because when, when everybody moved in the valley, you know, they had to break up these farms, so... They were pretty much draft horses, and they were sending thoroughbreds so they could have a little transportation for the cavalry. And there was places like this and places like western Arizona, Montana. They knew where the grass was good. And then they'd send a guy out there to pick the horses they wanted and... Uh, that's just kind of the way it was. They, uh, 
remount horses. Uh, then when the 40s and 50s, all these rodeos had a bush, a track around them. And uh, they run a lot of thoroughbreds. And I don't mean a few, I mean quite a few. And Seabiscuit was right up the road here south of Grand Junction for a while. The sheep guy owned him. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, a lot of the pickup horses was thoroughbreds. My dad's bulldog and mare, which is quite a mare, she was straight thoroughbred. And all these people, you know, they talk about, I guess Carol Rose put it the best when she said all this selective breeding like they're doing now, people that it's not horse people, but they just breed for the color or they breed for the name. They're letting a lot of good horses get away. Yeah, I bet that's right. And then when dad sold up, a friend of my dad's owned Cowboy P-12, Gypsies come through down by Durango or Pagosa Springs, and they had this horse tied to the wagon. It was Cowboy P-12, and Cliff Farian bought him, and he had a bunch of cows to work and gather, and bred some mares to him, and then he went to Stinnett, Texas. except for where Red Seagull's from in the Panhandle. And they didn't ride him until they were three or four years old back then, you know. And when he got to riding him, he went and got the horse back. And Cowboy P-12 would throw out a lot of pain horses. And I mean really nice pain horses. And I kept three mares out of the bucking string and a paint mare. And uh, then I had a solid sorrel mare here that had a real nice paint cold and outcrop. When I was in high school, I went to roping on him and took him to college. And uh, I needed a better horse. And... Uh, I traded him to Harry Knight. I got to know Harry Knight pretty good when I was pretty young and uh, got an older horse where I could rope in college a little better. He gave that horse to Monroe Thomason, and he went on to sell for like 12500 when you could buy a good horse for 2000 That's big money back then. Well, that was. You could do something with $12,000 back then. We could buy a ranch for $12,000 right. back then, Jimbo. That's right. Well, you know, the thing about this area, it don't seem like this area, the cowboys and the would-be cowboys that ever pay any entry fees, I mean stallion fees, to breed to a good horse. I brought... Uh, 
the mares from Whalen and J.B. Smith there at Pahuska. And uh, Leo horse was on them. About a one-eyed horse up at Scheidler that was just so outstanding cold, but you can't get nobody to pay anything for a breeding fee. I guess that's why they don't never beat nobody from around here. You know, old Leo, he spent the majority of his life right here in Pahuska. Did you know that, Alan? The old horse. Hey, what? Leo? Yes, sir. They actually called him the Pride of Pahuska. There's a big, uh, uh, I, I, I read a big uh, poem about him the other day that someone gave me. Well, uh, my friend was an oil man that lived over Littleton, Colorado, and he had seven seven known daughters of Leo at one time. So that's really something. They made good horses, though. Oh, Leo they made a lot of, of good ro- rodeo horses. I feel like them and the Oklahoma Stars. Yeah, we're good friends at the museum with uh, Corbett Mason, who's the son of Ronald Mason, who owned Oklahoma Star and owned that ranch, that Cross J Ranch over there by No Water. Yeah, and, he told us the story of when Ike Rude bought Baldy off of him on the way to Phoenix that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, you know, like first time I come down there to your country. I was amazed how many horses they had on them ranches because uh, I always like to look for a good horse. And I believe I've had 15 at the national finals from barrel racing to team roping to team tying. You know, I went to the finals in Oklahoma City twice team rope and they never give me credit for it yeah I didn't even think about that the first year I qualified I wanted to take Sonny Terman from California he and I made a deal that if I qualified that I'd take him he couldn't go and I took a Cowden kid and uh then he qualified and he took me, but when they paired up like Rodriguez and Newman paired up, they wasn't split up like the healers and the headers. There was just the top 15. Right. And I really didn't care about it. Uh, I guess I was sitting 18th, and when they paired up, it made me qualify, so I rode twice there at Oklahoma City and the team roping and they never ever give you credit for it. It's probably whoever's in the head of the association at the time, you know. Right. Hey, Alan, on top of, you know, Jimbo back in the early days of team roping, I think almost until like the 80, until the 90s maybe, you could, uh, probably the 80s sometime, you could pick someone if you made the top 15, you could pick your own partner to go to the NFR with you, couldn't you, Alan? Yeah. They had um, they, they only had top 15 team roper. They didn't have top 15 headers and healers back then. 
I don't believe, Jim. No, no. They didn't have them. And, you know, when I first started going to Texas, there was only one or two guys that tried to dally. They never even dallied down there in Texas when I went down there in the late 60s. Well, if you ain't got to, why would you? Well, I don't know. They was all just hiding hard fast people. And you know what was funny is um, I drove all night from Spokane and I was roping with John W. Jones Sr. I entered Oakdale twice, California. And uh, nobody had mount me. I walked around there and they'd all look down their nose at me. And so finally, I told John Miller he had to get off Uncle Ben's horse. <laughs> and I was six five and six eight. Back then, they rode up on the hip and never let a coil out and set them horses. Well, I reached and throwed it and ducked and was six five six eight when both go round. And I'm coming back behind the bucking chutes. There's a kid there with a long coat on long hair and he said hey dude he said uh, my dad spent ten thousand dollars sending me to rodriguez rambo school you taught me more one day than all the rest of them his name was hp evans wow so uh that's how he got started i didn't realize it was Go ahead. excuse me Go ahead. Well, it was a little bit different deal with those big steers. You know, it never practiced that way, but sometimes at the rodeo, I'd do that ducking off a little bit. And, but the horses would set then, and they had some rate to them. And what I see now, these horses don't have any rate. They don't know how to use their back end. They don't set Mine didn't have any rate either, Jimbo. I was kicking and pulling at the same time trying to get there. It was uh, the damnedest thing you ever saw. I know. I didn't realize, Alan, you had the team roping background that you do. I, I just knew about your uh, bulldog, and, you know, you were known as one of the best bulldogs of your day, and then you steer, you know, got into the steer roping, but I didn't, I didn't know about the team roping, honestly. You know, when the team tying, Alan, back then um, – when you tied their legs, did you just tie only the back two legs? H how did that work? Yeah. And did they have to stay tied for a certain amount of time? I don't know. I never saw no, it, you know, in its heyday. No. no uh, you tied a square knot around the back two legs. And uh, what was funny, you know, when I first saw it in Arizona was really strong on it. And, uh, the California guys that over there, of course, they were Dally guys, but uh, Texas at them registered shows, I end up buying this horse by Leo San. Now, Leo San was the father of Peppy San, and uh, the little horse that went to the King Ranch was over in Sunland Park. And Matlock and Carol Rose had had a falling out with Mr. G.B. Howell, and they sent me over there. And 
I had to have a few drinks with this guy. He was an old man, but what a horseman. Trying to buy little Peppy for $60,000. And Carol wanted to buy him, and Madelon said it was too much. Buster Welch got the horse. They went to the King Ranch. I guess you know the rest is history. Yep. But Leo Sand showed some awful good horses. He'd come from a guy there in Oklahoma, but I traded for this horse, and I team roped on him and tripped on him. But uh, the first horse I team tied on, well, I borrowed some down there in Arizona, but I was at the Cow Palace. There was about seven horses in a pen there, and there was this big roan slack main horse, and I asked Gene Miles that was running Todd Rosser's outfit, what's the deal on that horse? He said, I'm going to take him. He's been in the bucking at the finals for three years at Oklahoma City. And he said, I'm going to take him up to Washington. And I said, well, would you think about selling him or flip for him and we flipped for seven fifty or five hundred. I got him <laughs> for five hundred, and I took him over to a horseshoe and I had him put shoes on him and put Don Dodge's daughters. You know, one of them married Joe Alexander. I put Don Dodge's daughters on him to run cattle out at the cow palace. <laughs> so as the cow palace was over, I went down there. And Ron Goodrich had a bunch of stairs in California. I just roped on him and uh, I tied the knot on him at Oklahoma City the next year. Team tied. Half of them were team tied and half of them were team roped. And I tied half of them on this roan horse that had been in the booking string there for <laughs> three, three years before. His name was Wooden Nickel. You remember that old horse that uh, uh, Jason Evans used to ride that had the Harry Bold brand on him? That's what made me think of Your story yeah, kind of made me yeah. think of that. Yeah. You were known to have some good bulldogging horses, too, a good team. Uh, talk about your bulldogging horses a little bit, Alan. Well, uh, my dad had this thoroughbred mare and after I got out of high school I was 17 after I got out of high school he if it was closed he'd go with me and Hayes and if we couldn't get away there's a guy following him around through the mountains there all of his life and he'd send me with him and his wife up to Wyoming and we'd started a little black mare and Dick Stahl was a pretty good bulldogger at the time and he offered 2500 for this mare and a guy that owned the cell barn owned her and Jack come back and told him he took her away from us and gave her to his daughter. <laughs> so I had a young horse by this thoroughbred mare that I was starting that was really coming along exceptionally good. 
And in the winter sometime here at home, a stray bullet had hit this horse in the stomach, and uh, I lost that horse. So when I got out of college, I bought this. and I'd already made the deal to buy this hazel horse from Don Huddleston. And uh, Don was quite a hazer and had some good teams. And this horse, this horse was outstanding horse. I made a deal to buy him. I bought another buckskin horse that you could win little rodeos on, but you couldn't win the big ones. So I rode Jim Smith's colt. And then somewhere along the line, Jim Smith lost his hazing horse. And I put my saw horse with Jim's horse for a while. And then we hauled John W. Jones's gray horse with this horse. And then they made a deal to buy this horse from the Schaefer outfit up there in North Dakota that Bill Minnick was married to. And they kind of had him messed up. And I went up there to pick him up. We went 17 out of 18 rodeos. And he ran off at Pendleton. And he was a good-looking buckskin horse. A, a long, stout horse. And I brought him home and taught him to do his left lead. I, I broke him. They'd, they'd had his tongue cut. And anyway, they were... When I was getting ready to quit, they were, I was supposed to turn him out. And Billy Minnick had lost the rodeo outfit and sold out to Serbia and all this and that. And so uh, I made a deal and Serbia bought him out. And done me like everybody else, shorted the check. <laughs> but... but uh, that's the horse that's a great John W. Jones, the greatest bulldogger I ever seen, uh, win the world on. And people don't know this. He made that study that horse Walt Letterman hauled that they put in the Hall of Fame. John W. Jones had made that horse. And, uh, But he'd sometimes, John W. would start out in June and almost win the world. He didn't like to travel very much. But anyway, I was over in Kansas, and they'd kicked him off a study, and I laughed. I said, well, don't worry about it. I'll haul, him, I'll haul his horse a little harder. That's the year that John W. Jones Sr. win the world. And the only reason was the horse was a good horse. But when I sold him, I couldn't even hold him in the box at Cheyenne. And I'd win Cheyenne on him. I hazed for a lot of guys that had won Cheyenne because I had such an outstanding hazing horse. And I watch him today. 
three quarters of the time the hazing horse has passed the steer, and the steer jumps behind the hazing horse, and they can't figure it out. You need you to get you a team. Go back to hauling him, Alan. You'd probably get rich. Huh? Out. I said you need to put you a team together. Go back. Well, go back down the road with them. You can teach these young bucks some lessons. You know, when I quit, I quit, and I went and stayed in the mountains a lot. I packed in the mountains a lot. I met some people. I put a very nice ranch here together, and he's a very wealthy man. Owned a big hunting club in Africa, Botswana at the time, and big concessions in Tanzania and he took me to Scotland five or six times and Spain to shoot driven birds and Colombia and Africa so and then uh, when I was at Prescott one year Casey Tibbs and Ben Johnson introduced me to Sam Peckinpah the great director and then I, after Convoy was over, we went to Montana. He and Warren Oates bought a ranch up there. I helped Sam. He was building a cabin up there, a nice one. And so uh, I had other things to do besides rodeo. You were in the movie Convoy with Chris Christopherson? Yes. I played a highway patrolman that pulled him and Allie McGraw over. And they handed you a bomb or something. You took off running or something. Is that right? Well, we, uh, no, that was Killer Elite. Oh, okay. I remember when you played a policeman and something about a bomb that or was, something. Uh, motorcycle deal in San Francisco. Okay. That was with Jimmy Conn and Duval and those guys. I heard that. But, uh, James Conn can rope pretty good. That's what uh, I end up learning after his passing here recently. Well, that's what they said. I I roped with him two or four years, never got a check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alan! Well, I saw I one, one time. I, I know one. I know one of them guys in New York said I read it on my phone that he was the only Jewish cowboy that could. Rope and tie calves with the best of them. And uh, I never, I, I didn't see it that way. <laughs> well, I saw an exhibition one time. I thought it was at the finals where you were heading for James Conn. Do you remember that? Uh, it might have been at Denver. Oh, maybe they were just showing a clip, but I remember you, you roping, for, heading for him, you know, and I can't remember. I don't think, like you said, yeah. I don't think you draw the check, but. Alan, did you well, ever go back to New York to that rodeo? Never went back to New York. Um, in 67, I had my knee tore up. Uh, I was in the world by a lot of money early in the year and uh, went to Long Beach and Jack Roddy had a hazing horse, couldn't run much. and I had this deer caught and he, he bumped that steer over the top of me and tore my leg up again. But I kept going a little that summer. And 
I wanted to go to Montreal to the World's Fair. And uh, I'm glad I went. There was a lot of pretty ladies there. What was a World's Fair like back there in the, in the you said in the 60s? Well, it was so crowded. There's just thousands and thousands of people. And the buses had a strike and the cab drivers had had a strike. I hired a guy off the street. And the lady I was with was in the back with John W. Jones Sr. I reached in my pocket to get some coins to put in the bridge to go across the St. Louis River. And the sea wasn't even bolted down. It fell, it fell over backwards in their lap while this guy was driving across the bridge. <laughs> but, Sounds like uh, it was a heck of a time. Something to see. Well, yeah, it was. But, you know, uh, they had that rodeo at Madison Square Garden, you know. I don't know uh, a year or two, but I was too young to go back there when it was a big deal. Uh, there was a guy named George Mills. Yep. He was raised down here in Morrow's with my dad, and he clowned Madison Square Garden for years. Uh, and I'd hear a lot of stories about Madison Square Garden. There was a neighbor up here. Uh, that rode a zebra backwards back there in Madison Square Garden. I'd think it'd be hard enough just to read, ride a zebra forward. Why would you want to try to ride one backwards? Well, you know, I got a, I got a zebra rug, and you got to be careful <laughs> if you lay it on if you lay it on the floor, and you're barefoot, you're liable to get some of them little short white hairs in your feet. And you, you can't get them out. Because hmm. the hair's so short on them and pretty. Sound like the part porcupine. Right. Right, right, right. I can only imagine the fun that those cowboys had back then when they were, you know, they were there for 30 days or some crazy thing. <laughs> I can only imagine all the fun stuff they got into there in New York City. Well, you know, um, I learned a lot. Uh, I didn't have no cattle. My dad didn't have any cattle. The trip, I learned by watching two guys, Sonny Davis and Don McLaughlin. And Don McLaughlin had bought the black horse, you know, from Stively. And Don was over there at Fort Collins when I was going to college. And I'd watch Don and Sonny Davis. I knew I couldn't run down there and follow those stairs like a bunch of them guys did and not win nothing. I wanted to throw it and win some money. And um, I'd watch them. And then there was a great cowboy by the name of Jack Newton. Jack Newton was as good as cutting horse man as Madlock or Buster Wells. He had a lot of match ropings over against with Toots Fansfield at 
Colorado City and a lot of them other guys back in the day. And it's my understanding he never was beat. And I'd watch him rope calves at the register ropings when I first went to Fort Worth. Well, they come to Cheyenne with this bay horse and uh, uh, Jack had made the finals in the trip. And, and uh, I saw the bay horse. And when I got to Fort Worth that fall, I got a hold of Mr. Murray and went over there to Dallas and bought the horse. He was pretty poor shape. He'd come out of Clovis. They'd match rope him in Clovis. They match racing there. And they had him in a collar. They were feeding from him at the cell bar. When uh, Jim Calvert and them got a hold of him. And uh, I bought that horse. They called him Tom. And I brought him back over to Fort Worth and Aceberry and Hugh Hamlet was waiting for me. They said, that's the ugliest $2,000 horse I've ever seen. So I got him in shape and took him out to California, Morro Bay, and Johnny Joe Miller was going back to the Ben Johnson. He didn't have a horse to ride or nothing, and so uh, John W.'s bulldog and pen was small. He had some big 800, 850 pounds steers there, and I just backed up the pickup and the trailer to a Cabonzo field he had plowed up and told Johnny Jones to get over on the side I'd let one out. He went and tripped three or four. A friend of mine put the money up from Las Vegas. He went there to bus and went a lot of money back in the day on him. And then when I, I just broke away two or three stairs, I'd never roped on this horse before when I took him to Cheyenne. I went the first go round three years in a row on it. So I got along with the horse good. He was a good horse, Cody. I remember him well. You know, a lot. I've heard of a lot of good steer roping horses coming out of the cell barn off of the hay wagon because, you know, they listen to commands. They know how to pull. I've heard of a lot of good steer horses coming off of the hay wagon in a cell barn. Well, you know, I had it. Chevrolet Brewery was a big brewery over in Denver. And I had a, I bought a wagon from Fairtrade Stamp. He beat the Fairtrade Law over at Longmont. It was a Chevrolet Beer Wagon. And a cousin of mine had some real good Amish Belgian mares. And I don't know, I probably broke 60 horses to them for that movie Heaven's Gate. But, you know, if I had trouble with a horse, I'd just hook them. Hook them to that wagon and one of them good mares. And I'd have him where you could do something with him in a day or two. A lot of guys uh, don't know that. They... It kind of lost the horsemanship deal of these cowboys. You know, like the calf ropers, they brag on these. 
guys that taught them all the rope care as well. Those horses with their feet in the front air, they can't back up. You know, when they get off of them, their horses profit instead of stopping, and there's no way they can get backwards on two feet. Yeah. Well, they'll get flagged out if they go backwards too far, it looks like. so. And back in my day, you very seldom see the jerk line. And uh, very seldom seen a line on a steer horse, you know. Yeah, Stop I carried one on my steer horse just to let him know it was there. And just to let him know I might use it, but I might not use it either. <laughs> I just had it on to let it, because he knew it, my horse knew it was there or knew it wasn't there. For some reason, one of my good horses, Mr. Well, well, I, I always thought it was important to teach a horse and let him know what the word woe was. And I think you can holler woe at a lot of them and never get them to stop today. No, a lot of them just seem to work on feel alone. They just know to take a couple. The steer ropers nowadays, they only want to take, most of them only want their horses to take a couple steps, it seems like, and then they just want them to die off and stop. Well, the one time at Cheyenne, I ducked under the rope and tied the steer in 14. I've seen several guys try to duck under the rope, and they didn't get along that good. I'd forgot about you doing that. I, you were you were one that up for a right hand tie with ducking under the rope. I'd forgot about that. He's awful big to be ducking under I know, the rope. I know, I know. He made it work though. I did it one well, time, but I was falling down and had to go somewhere, Jimbo. Yeah, you had to get out of the way, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. You know what? It seemed like when I broke, you know, if I were nobody in Mount Man, I got on my saw a hazen horse and win the trip and it penalty. In 68, it went all around. But see, he wasn't quite big enough. They had the steer roping finals at the prison of McAllister. He wasn't quite big enough until I got me a horse. But, uh... Well, you know, steer roping horses, they're considered a lot like your wife. Ain't no one riding them but you. Most of the time. Most of the time, you don't see people sharing steer roping horses. Not very many guys. I'd let Trevor ride mine anytime if he ever wanted to. Well, uh, you know, uh, these horses don't have to drag one as far today with the size of cattle they're roping. And back then at Cheyenne, if you drug one too far, them little rocks and stuff would get them, they'd get up on you. Burn their sides. Yep. Yeah, you know, and at Cheyenne, they're big steers. About that third go-round, you better have a set of glasses on or they'd throw them claws and rocks up in your face. Alan, you don't see that kind of stuff. Right. The year you won the world, were they having it here in Pahuska, the national finals? 
Yes. That's where they had the finals. Right there in Pahuska. What was it like here at the finals in 1972 here in Pahuska, Oklahoma? I know you got to remember well, that roping pretty well. Yeah, you know. Uh, they were big cattle. People, I know that. Bunch of people flew in from Arizona. Some big cattle traders I knew. And we were out there with Ben Johnson and Johnny Joe Miller. And, and uh, you know, the, the crowd was. You, you talk to a lot of people. You know, I think Tony Maker bought me in the Calcutta for quite a bit of money. And uh, you knew a lot of people. Like, I liked, uh, you know, Tony and I liked Tall Chief and my friend John Israel. And just, there was just so many good people in the area. And it just seemed like they filled the place plumb up. And they were back then. People come from everywhere to the finals. The same as Post. They'd fly in there with their helicopters and uh, their jets to Angelo and Post and uh, Wendy Rise. They were just a lot of friendly people. They'd come from all over. You know, um, I tried to get the, the directors back then to get Ben Johnson or Walt Garrison to do a documentary about uh, what we do for the needy kids. Like at Post, it went for the West Texas Boys Ranch and Wendy Ryan went for the Hart Sun, and Terry McGinley went to Easter Seal, and it might hurt, might hurt some cattle once in a while, but we've got a lot for the needy people. The Ben Johnson open here, the American Cancer Society, it supports. Yeah, so they could fight off the Humane Society and all that. They just sit and look at you. And that's one thing they should have done with these guys that were celebrities. Uh, they don't have nothing to combat nothing. Did you did you ever work in any movies or television shows with Ben Johnson, Allen? <laughs> well, I went to Prescott Fourth of July and. Of course, you know, I had to be up at Cody and Red Lodge and Livingston on the way to Calgary and Casey Tibbs and Ben Johnson introduced me at lunch at the Sam Peckinpah. And we visited and he put me on a table there where uh, Steve McQueen was paying his entry fees. Well, I sit out there in that hot sun all day. It was pretty hot. Steve McQueen would go to his trailer and never could find his shirt, his glasses. I said, nah, I've had enough of this. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that night, there's a famous bar downtown. And 
Matt Saloon, maybe? I'm not sure. I'm just guessing. The Birdcage, maybe? <laughs> oh, yeah. We were in there, and the owner got a hold of Casey Tibbs, and he said, uh, there's a guy named Keller's run all my business off, <laughs> except, the, except the girls are hanging around. Casey said, you're lucky you got a joint loud. So then, now oh, I stopped by where he was working a couple movies. No, I never got to work with him, but you know, right west of me here, Moab's where they done all those, she wore yellow ribbon and all them. And that horse, I just, I love that horse that Ben was riding and she wore a yellow ribbon. That horse could handle that rough country and and could run. Looked like he had a lot of thoroughbred. I don't know if they got him from his friends there in Oklahoma or what, but I, I never would, never had the opportunity. You worked with uh, Clint Eastwood at least once, I know, in Pale Rider. What kind he was of good to work for. What was he it? Was Go ahead. He was real good to work for, and uh, he kicked uh, he kicked you right in the gonads, though, in Pale Rider. <laughs> was that was that in the script, or he just wanted to do it that day? Well, that first shot coming off the hill, um, a helicopter was out there, and Buddy Van Horn, that double Clint was. Gavin was a pilot, and Gavin flew a lot of stuff for a friend of mine that owned Cinema Air. He made the bob up like sheep, and he's the same guy that took me to Africa. He owns Gulf States Toyota, which is five states and all the parts. And uh, he'd done, he'd flew the jet and Foxfire for Eastwood. So uh, that morning we were sitting around there and it was pretty cold. And, you know, uh, when a movie shows up, every kind of person in the world shows up to try to get a job. And right. I, I think uh, the little girl's name was Sydney Penny and her agent come by and they flew up burn a twin engine from LA and he made the statement and freaking was a captain at PSA Airlines. His father started PSA Airlines. And uh, he flew helicopters and all these jets and his kids got B-51s and Spitfires that go to bust these shows now. But anyway, the agent from L.A. said, we was lost. And Tommy Freakin said, you're only lost if you care where you're at. <laughs> and the guy turned around. He says, I'm worried about going back home. And we were at Sun Valley. 
And Tom says, well, keep the ocean on your right. <laughs> yeah. Going back to L.A. The guy didn't know who he was. But it was funny. I had a dressing room. Tom Freakin was a billionaire. And I had to loan him my dressing room. But anyway, the first shot, they had a bunch of Hollywood stunt guys. And the helicopter, when I come up, was supposed to move away from it. Well, it never did move. And in the film, they see me reaching up towards the camera in the helicopter. And Buddy Van Horn looked down and saw me, and they moved the helicopter away. And I turned around, and four or five of the Hollywood stunt guys and fell off over the head of the horse. Some of them are still hanging on the net. <laughs> so, so we had to do it over a few times. And then uh, back in that day, they sent the film off for three or four days before you knew what you had in your shot so they could look at dailies. And uh, part of the film got chewed up in the camera. So I got an extra week or so working on that. And I got to tell you, the residuals, that was 85, 86. We done that. That's made me more money than any picture I ever done. Because of Eastwood, and it's on TV all the time. Yeah, it's on all the time. Do you keep up with Eastwood these days? Uh, no, uh, I did for a while. I when Lonesome Dove come out, I shipped him the book real quick, and. Uh, then I was down there doing um, uh, I was in Santa Fe doing um, the movie with Kiefer and Amelia I was playing John Kenny as a Billy the Kid movie was it Young Guns? yeah that was you playing John Kenny, the bounty hunter? Yeah. Holy moly. I love that show, Young Guns. Remember they had them pinned down in the top floor of that house? John Kenny comes in. They push that. I think they put Billy the Kid in a box and push him out of the top of the house. It's good. Huh. Yeah, put him in a... Yeah, put him in a... Uh, one of them things you, you you put your clothes in. A trunk. Yeah. Trunk, trunk. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, uh, the funny thing about that movie is I had four or five pages of lines and boy, it got really cold down there. And Amelia was worried about me bringing all those guys into the, the Mexican compound. He said uh, his play will take too much away from it. So it was Dean Kane's dad that was the director. 
So I said, let me go talk to the dressman. I said, I'm supposed to ask him to invite us to the deal. I said, if I got this many Texas Rangers and we just ride in the compound, it looks like we're already invited without all them words. So we got to shoot that day without everybody freezing to death and it worked out all right. But I didn't get to do my lines, which was all right with me. Well, that was a good movie, Jimbo. It's still one of my favorites, Young Guns. Right. You had well, Billy, you had Chavez, uh, you had Dirty Steve, I think was his name. He was my favorite guy. <laughs> I don't know why Dirty Steve. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, after that, you know, Kiefer went to roping a little. Kiefer Sutherland. Really? Oh, yeah, he played Doc in that movie. And then he had a little ranch out there in California. But... Uh, Did you ever go out there and rope with him? No. No, I didn't. Uh, I try to stay clear of that area unless there's some work to do. Uh, With my friend in Vegas that owned part of Caesar's Palace and and, uh, going down and sitting with Mr. Binion and Talking to Chill Wills and Dale Robinson and Ben Johnson, all, all, all them stories. It's just not a place I like to hang out very long. Chill Wills, that's a name right there. Oh, I, I love Chill Wills, one of my favorite character actors. He was great. McClintock, you know, when he played McClintock, that was good. He, he sold papers. He sold papers in a hotel. When Vinnie Binion was still in Dallas. Chill Wills Chill did? Huh. Did. I'll be darned. I just listened to the uh, the book about Benny Binion the other day when I was driving somewhere, Jimbo. Really? Talk about a good book. I bet it is. Talk about it. It, t- it talks about his early Dallas and Fort Worth days. Yeah. Do you remember the name of it? Something in Blood. I can't remember. Um, yeah. Uh, that guy... Spent a lot of time researching that. And um, uh, Weinstein's outfit owned the rights to that book. The Weinstein that's in jail now? That Weinstein that got in trouble. Yeah. yeah. You know, they were going to, they tried bombing his house with an airplane and yeah. a bomb in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. That was noble. That was a cat. Cat with nine lives. There was one His guy, yeah, was, they, no. they were trying to get rid of him the whole time, and he was trying to get rid of them yeah. the whole time. It's a wild, it's just what you think it well, would be. Yeah. Well, Carol Shelby, that made the Mustang and stuff, he said to me one day, we were up here hunting, he said, a lot of people like Noble better than they like Benny. I said, well, they got to like Benny now because he's still alive. <laughs> You know, they, um, were you ever around Amarillo Slim out there? There's a guy. Yeah, I I see Amarillo Slim a lot back in the day. But uh, I was going to tell you about that book. There's a 
the guy in Dallas had sold his oil outfit up in Williston Basin, made a billion dollars. He owns the rights to that book now. And two years ago, they had a company started that's going to do a movie on that. And uh, I haven't seen or nothing happen, or I hadn't seen nothing about that. Well, they got to get you involved as a, at least someone telling them what really happened around there, how so they know how to set up the scenes. Well, they won't do that because you can't tell them guys nothing. <laughs> you know, everybody says, well, you can't tell that director that. And like uh, Deadwood, uh, that's where David Mills got the language. Uh, we went out to dinner and there were some undesirable cowboys there. That's where he come up with the language for Deadwood. For me. Yeah, there was uh, a lot of cussing in Deadwood. There was. But, you know, I could talk to them directors, uh, but like Peckinpah and Michael Cimino. See, Cimino only spent $50 million on Heaven's Gate, and they pretty much barred him. And some of these guys, like... Kevin Costner, two or three hundred on Waterworld, two or three hundred on the Postman, and nobody knows where the money went. And he's still working. You got this goofy guy Johnny Depp, six hundred million on the Long Ranger, and he's still working. And they take his good directors that's really talented and smart. They can't ever get another job. Well, that's a lot of money. They just, they just, they just made a movie here in in Pahuska, and they spent several hundred million dollars making it. What was it about? Uh, Jimbo, kind of give him an update on what this movie's well, about. Well, it was from the book Killers of the Flower Moon, and it's it was big time names. Yeah, it had uh, DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. And uh, anyway, it was Martin about Martin Scorsese's yeah, the director. Yeah, and uh, it was about the Osage Indian murders. These Indians here in Osage County had the mineral rights, and when they became so wealthy, why uh, some white people uh, come up the scheme to kill them off in a family where they would they'd marry into that family and then they'd kill all the other survivors. Oh, that's when the, right. That's when the FBI yeah, didn't show right, up. Right. Right. And, yeah, uh, I, I know. I know a lot about that story. Okay. Well, they, they made a movie last summer, and it's not going to be out till I think, May of this coming year. But it'll be a good movie. Well, you know, there was a friend of mine, Max Edmonds, that died two days ago. I mean, two years ago, about then. He wrote One-Eyed Sky, My Partner, Cable Hogue, The Rounders. Huh. And... He wrote High Level Country about that country between Texas and Raton. And that especially the Rounders. Yeah. he got a hold of it. He had a guy named Freeze, an Englishman. And boy, he was really mad the way that they they done it. Max Evans, I I talked to him. He was really hot. Because the Wrangler lied to him about what he was going to do and all that. So I don't know about Corsese. You know, 
I knew Lefty Rosenthal very well. Right. The casino, and I never went to watch it. I was sitting on the back of the, these Cowboys' bed there in L.A., and it come on TV, and I, I got up, and I didn't watch it because I knew, I knew Lefty very well, Rosenthal. Right. Is he still alive? Or he, I think he died, didn't he? Yeah, he had a he had a nightclub in Bogalichon. I always wanted to go down there in the middle of the night, show up at that nightclub. Yeah, he was one of the first sports book guys there was, or maybe the best, wasn't he? Well, they run him out. Uh, they, they uh, let me. I can tell the story without giving it all away. Uh, they run him out and. Um, a friend of mine hadn't got the okay yet, but uh, they roughed him up a little bit, but he got the same. But he's the one and, they put uh, the b- bomb in the car, right? You know, they tried to blow him up? Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was Fat Herbie and all them guys. Herbie Blitzstein that worked for but what was funny is uh, they opened up the gambling joint called the Rose Bowl. Two or three of my friends were investors. And I broke down out there one time and I went down there and left. He handed me a paper sack with 7500 in it to get a new truck. And I come home, I told mom we had to pay this guy back. She talked to him all the time. I'd send money home, got him paid back, and she never did know what his real lab racket was. She <laughs> talked to him all the time. But he was funny. But the guy, see, you got the gaming laws, and then you got the laws. Well, a lot of those guys had a record. So they couldn't get a license very good. And when Ralph Lamb got to be sheriff, he made him come down and get fingerprints. The only two guys that wasn't going to get a fingerprint was Hard Hughes and Elvis. And they ended up getting their fingerprints. I can tell you that. But anyway, that's so the sheriff knew their real name. If it was Blitzstein, he knew their real names. And I used to go to dinner with Ralph and see a lot of them guys. And Lefty come down there, they didn't want him around. And the thing that hurt him, he had a night show. Right. Back there. When all them guys was lit up pretty good on that stuff. And uh, that night show probably didn't do him any good. No, he's just lucky to get out of Vegas alive, wasn't he? Yeah, but the great one now is Billy Walters. Billy Walters is living in Florida. And uh, they sent him to the pen for inside trading. Uh but Billy Walters got people that work for him. Uh, he's a big, big 
ten yeah. times bigger than left in them guys. Yeah, I've heard a lot about him, Billy Walters. Great handicapper. Yeah, he, uh, Did you ever meet Elvis guy. out there? Excuse me? Did you ever meet Elvis out there in Las Vegas? No, but it caused me problems. Uh, there was two gals that worked in the bank here, and they wanted to go see Elvis. I asked them where they were at the hill, and they said by the front door. I said, I'll have a guy come get you. So he took them around the line, and he took them in and set them up front. No money, no nothing. Well, they come back here and told the bankers, told her boyfriend. They all got jealous as hell. You know how it is. Right. Well, how, did, how can he do that? How does he know to do that? It really wasn't none of their business. But that's, that's how you get in trouble, sometimes helping people. Yes, sir. But I knew, I knew Colonel Parker pretty good. He'd come over and visit Mr. Binion when Mr. Binion was sick. And he'd tell them old stories and all that. They didn't play him in a very good light in that movie, Colonel Parker. You know, the new Elvis movie. Well, he spent a lot of money there in one night, two or three nights. But anyway, he said, uh, I said, Vinny, I'm going to Africa for a month or two. And that's after he had a big heart deal. I said, I want to come by and visit with you. And spent three or four hours. Parker said, you're going to Africa? He said, yeah. He said, uh, here, he went and got a postcard. And he sent it to the head guy at the Hilton from the colonel having a good time in Africa. He signed it. (laughs) (laughs) And I I mailed it back to Vegas from Africa. Speaking of Las Vegas. I don't go there no more. Yes, sir. I'm talking about moving the national finals to Las Vegas. How well, in- that was that was quite a deal, you know. Um, Benny said Clem wouldn't let him put his stagecoach in Oklahoma City, and him and Casey had been working on this project for quite a while, and uh, when they got it moved uh, then he had Ed Gaylord come out and the kid and uh, you know trying to keep things quiet and wanted Vegas to succeed because he'd went to the guy at Caesars Palace got a million dollars for him and they had quite an investment so anyway, uh, I, I'd come back from Scotland shooting driven birds. And he wanted me to come down there and run the arena because he knew I'd run the arena for Harry Knight. 
when Doyle Cobbler quit, and I said, you're the only guy who can keep it clean. And there were some big problems. There wasn't very much room. They had to run the cattle. I mean, the horses up the alleyway between the bronc riding, the bulldog and horses, the rope and horses. So there was a lot to try to get it done. And in that tunnel, you know, they got to bring the bucking horses in, but it's just a cement wall. There's really no safety for nobody. Uh, there was a lot to get done. And uh, then... Uh, That's a big job know, being the arena director for the National Finals Rodeo, especially the first one in Las Vegas. Holy moly. Well, uh, your name comes up and 20 of them would-be guys don't want you because... You'd run them out of the arena before. You know, <laughs> some of the cowboys like to stand there and strut, hoping the girls would see them. Well, yeah. There was no room back of the bucket. She was absolutely none. And uh, the stock contractors had a bad habit of giving their ticket away and come down there and bunch up. And there wasn't no room to do nothing. I made a rule that if you didn't have a bareback horse there, you couldn't be there. I said, we need to put a TV back there so these guys can watch the other end of the calf open. All this and that. There wasn't supposed to be any photographers back of the shoes. We had a meeting. And then her pretty heavy gal was back of the shoots, and I asked her four or five times real nice, and she didn't move, and the camera went to the other side. And I reached down, got a hold of a roll above the belt, and went to walking. And uh, she left. she <laughs> did. And uh, raised Kane, and the sheriff was sitting there, and he seen the badge I had on. And uh, Ralph Lamb wanted to look at the badge. So I slid it off of my shirt pocket under my jacket around the back of a couple of people, handed it to him instead. He put his glasses on. It said brothel inspector, Kansas City. <laughs> Made, made in the late 1800s and he wanted <laughs> he wanted to keep it and I go no and then I sent him one there was a great silversmith I met in Santa Fe D.A. Harris made the tip sets for George Bush and Tiger Woods and I had him one copy says Bothell Inspector Clark County but anyway, I didn't let the Cowboys know, you know. I, I had a job to do. I was going to do it if they liked it or not. Uh, then they took the bull rider and Cotton Roster tried to get me fired. They had a meeting up, but, and I didn't care about this job. I could make more money stealing them reeks. Reed treads off them stock contractors 
trucks out there, and I did road work in that rodeo. <laughs> they only paid you a hundred dollars a performance. So anyway, I uh, I just I got what I to get done, what I could get done, and. I have to go to the meet and said, bring this up. They'd bring this up. But when they went up for to get me fired, Benny was on the board, Benny Binion. He didn't go. He sent the sheriff. And, you know, Benny used to pay. You could go down there and eat for free, all those rodeo committees. And he paid the Cowboys' entry fees. And uh, my name come up and Ralph Lamb just put his hand up and said, if you don't like the arena, please, you're going to have to get somebody else to pay these Cowboys fees and feed that committee them steaks. And they all shut up. They didn't have nothing to say after that. Right. Well, Benny's man at Duntop, they don't want to get crossways with Benny in any form or fashion, I wouldn't think. Well, it's funny today. These cowboys today don't even know who he is. And he's the reason they're there. Right. And the money. Yeah. They don't appreciate it, probably. Did they? Uh, I wonder how they talked that Oklahoma City crew and whoever to move in the finals. Was it just the money or did they have to well, push a little bit or? You know, they had it in Dallas. They had it in Oklahoma City. They had and, it in uh, L.A. They had it in L.A. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the thing about it is there's so much to do in Vegas. You know, you talk to 10,000 people. I went to the finals in Vegas. They don't even go out to the rodeo. Right. And now they didn't have it, in T- they didn't have it on TV. For the first two years. Then they put it in the hotels. But they tried to get the hotels to invest in tickets. They wouldn't do it outside of the casino. Now you can't even get a ticket unless you're a high roller. They glom on them tickets like they're gold. It's the hottest ticket in town in December. And all these divorces around here. These people that got tickets in Colorado, that's one of the biggest things they bring up. And, you know, I never did like them putting the fireworks and all that in there before rodeo because it's hard on people's lungs. Them older people. And that smoke, I, I never was for that. Right, and there was, you know, there was a lot to this deal. Um, uh, I just watched Cotton Rosser's funeral service, and everybody calls rodeo a sport, and he calls it a show. Well, uh, Biddy Binion wanted Fern Sawyer to carry the flag. She's a gal out of New Mexico. She used to run the state fair in Albuquerque. A good friend of mine and 
and Benny's and a lot of people. And well, Cotton wanted his daughter in there instead of Fern. Fern just finally said, Benny, let's forget about it. Because uh, that's the way the rodeo business is. Uh, if you do good, somebody's going to have something to say. It's kind of like around here when I went to Cheyenne. And I went all around. There was about 20 people in this area. At the sale barn, made the statement, did you hear about Keller? He got lucky, went all around at Cheyenne. Well, my dad's friend was a brand inspector up Fern. So the next year, I went all around. He got them all gathered up. He said, did you hear about Alan? He got lucky again. <laughs> but see, when I went to junior college, I went to Nationals the first year I went to junior college. I tore up a knee. Uh, I stepped backwards, and uh, I thought the lawn was green over there in eastern Colorado. I didn't know what goat heads were, but I found out real quick. That wasn't nothing but a patch of goat heads, the football field. But anyway, I tore up a knee like in uh, September, had it operated on and come back and win the Nationals like in February. So the next year I took my coach here from Olathe to college to be the wrestling coach where he won the Nationals a couple of times. So, uh, but this area used to be big on wrestling, really big. And uh, then you hear people talking, well, Keller, this and that. Well, you know, there was a lot of difference between when I was 22 years old and 17 years old wrestling. I had my other knee tore up. I wrestled Curly Culp in a tournament at Golden. Curly Culp was NCAA champion twice, heavyweight. Is he the one who played football? Is that the football player? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Houston, Houston, Kansas City. Right. But I wrestled him at six to six draw. Golden, I didn't weigh 205 pounds. Had a knee tore up. Had it operated on daylight. My coach come and drug me off the mat. So I didn't get to go to the Nationals that year. But there was a guy by the name of Lomley from Tulsa. Had a ranch up here at Cedar Ridge. Up here on Grand Mesa. Called the figure four. And when I was in 1958, whatever... I was in high school, well, Lomley had to have all these Olympic wrestlers up there at the ranch. They couldn't make any money, but he, they had a job for them. They could pick rocks. They could train. They had wrestling mats. Well, we got to work out with a guy by the name 
of Doug Bloomball that was Olympic champion in 58. And it's really something for a high school kid, even though you win state, to work out with Olympic gold medal winners when you're when you're that young. Right. You learn you learn a lot. And then there was a little Japanese kid by the name of Yo Yo Yataka. He went to OSU there in Oklahoma. Really didn't get along with Roderick that good. But later on, he said Myron Roderick was the greatest coach he ever seen. And I thought that also myself. He used to sit in the sweat, the sweat box. Jack Briscoe beat me from Blackwell, Oklahoma. And, yeah. uh, in the Nationals, he was, they put us in the same bracket, which there was a lot of argument we shouldn't have been. But anyway, I had to go beat the two guys that he'd beat and come back. But anyway, uh, Yo-Yo, I used to pick him up and take him these little rodeos. And he'd drink a beer once in a while. Well, he couldn't wrestle his freshman year at Oklahoma State. He won a gold medal for Japan, Olympics. Hmm. Well, then he went on to win three national championships for OSU and went to Japan and won another gold medal for Japan. He was the best I ever seen that night. I saw a few of them. Right. I know the current coach for OSU. He's a buddy of ours, Jimbo, old John Smith. He's right. a big he's a big rodeo fan. Really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Well. Well, uh you know, uh my Roderick wanted me to come to school down there at one time and but God, they were so deep. They had, you know, four or five backups on each weight. You know, they had a quite a program. Oh yeah. And uh, I don't know what it's like today. I think it's pretty good. It's still pretty good, but wrestling not as big as it used to be. You know, around the country. No, it's not. I think they have the yeah. National Wrestling Hall of Fame there, right there in Stillwater. Uh-huh. The yeah. It is. It's there. Yeah. It's there. Hey, Alan, did you ever meet old Slim Pickens? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I love Slim Pickens. Now, uh, he was a hand, you know. Um, he'd fight bulls. Uh and then they wanted him for this rodeo deal, and he had a leg swelled up, or a movie deal, and they ended up giving him a pretty good job. And But you know, he had that Appaloosa horse that would buck them guys off and jump a wagon. They used that Appaloosa horse several movies. But Slim was really a nice guy. And a very talented guy. 
he drive a six up, eight up, it didn't matter. You know, and he got in a fight with Phil Sadler at the Cow Palace over a dwarf frame of bull. Yeah, I've seen the pictures. It's a heck of it's one of the most famous rodeo pictures of all time. Yeah, and uh, I have that picture. And uh, right there in the moat at the Cow Palace, and uh, Phil Stadler didn't come out too good. <laughs> you yeah. know, I took Phil Stadler to Mexico in a, on a big cattle deal one time, and he wrote a book and everything. He mentions about him going, but he never mentions me. And I had the money guy, and I had everything. But I pulled the plug in Mexico. And, but I don't know. Them guys never give you credit when it's due. But I, Slim Pickens had a cabin up there out of the boys Wyoming somewhere. And he come to Montana and spent two or three days with Sam Peckinpah and me, but it's it's too bad he died so young. Yep. He's got a daughter out there that's got some thoroughbred horses. I see her at Santa Anita once in a while. But, what a legend uh, that guy is. Slim Pickens. Right, legend. You know, there was all, there's another guy. <laughs> this guy used to live with us. He uh, got out of prison and moved in with my grandpa. And I'm just wondering if you have any stories on uh, old Buddy Heaton. Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> I can a bunch of them, you know. He went to work for the Navajo Indians. He called it the Black Hat Trading Company. Uh, back then, this guy, Vaughn Smith, used to bring a Bob Bell truck of Navajo horses from down at the Four Corners, Cortez, over here and sell them. And, you know, they were all broke because uh, those squaws that rode them all the time. And they, a lot of these ranchers want to buy them for $100, $200. And... Uh, but Buddy went down there. Then he was training horses. And when trios went to All-American, I had like seven own daughters at trios. But I didn't have the good mares, but I partnered with people that had them. So they wasn't in my name. And I had a leg operated on night. Slim had some racehorses. He come down here to Durango. And the guy wasn't going to let me go in in the morning and the afternoon or, or nothing on the gate. So I got a hold of Buddy and he filled out a deal and I was a groom. So the stirs went to Buddy and well, they come to me said, we don't see you brushing horses. I said, well, you got to talk to my trainer. He must like the way I'm brushing up. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they tried to get me thrown out. 
And Buddy, he says, oh, no, he's the best groom I got. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he bought him. But, you know, Buddy helped a lot of kids, you know, when they were young, going to ride bulls. And he got a friend of mine come up there and match a guy, a buffalo riding, a, a great horse trainer that trained race horses for Jumanville and the senator Louisiana. His name is Jan K. Jones. That trained a lot of dash for cash mares and stuff back in the day. But uh, uh, there's a jillion stories about Buddy around the Cell barns, and when he went to Calgary, these kids would be following him for a mile. But they locked him up at night, <laughs> let him out during the day. <laughs> yeah. He, but helped. he helped a lot. He helped a lot of people, buddy. He did. He helped me too. And then. He helped relieve me of my bicycle when I was a kid. He stole it and uh, sold it. He sold it over at the horse sale during the tack. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, uh, you know, his son got killed by one in Buffalo. Over here in eastern Colorado. No kidding. Little buddy? Yeah. He showed up to our house one time, uh, Buddy Heaton's son, little buddy, Jimbo. And uh, he had all these stock panels and had them uh, bailing wired together like a cage and had a bear in there on a flatbed trailer. (laughs) He did. Oh, yeah, you know, it don't surprise me. There was a guy that clowned for my dad. His name was Fess Reynolds. He's the guy that jumped the brim of bulls out of the airplane. Up in Canada, parachuting them. He could get chicken or goat. What was they he doing? A, <laughs> I've never heard that he one. Had, he had an African lion at Cortez. <laughs> and my dad had a bull called Smokey. And he was a Smokey Bramer, and he was a fighting bull. Well, they run that lion in there. They. And this bull showed him plumb over this seven-foot fence in the lap of a bunch of young <laughs> Indians sitting there. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that lion was scared. They had to catch him. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that deal on uh, the Internet the other day, Jimbo, back in, I don't know, the 60s, 70s? They used to turn out this gentle lion in the uh, in the arena at Calgary during the bull riding. I saw something about it. Yeah, I yeah. Know and this lion about. was chasing well, this guy was... on the bull, and he rode that bull for about thirty seconds because that lion was right on the tail of that bull. <laughs> he wouldn't get off for nothing. Was that the same lion you're talking about, Alan? It could be because Beth went to Hollywood and trained a bunch of those ramers and stuff. He could train anything, but back there in them days. You know, today you see these clowns standing around the arena. Back in the day, them guys all had a act, and they were funny, and they could do something. They could fight bulls. There was a guy called, his name was Joaquin Sanchez, out there in California, a hell of a bullfighter. Got killed up there on Tahoe, 
walking across the street from one bar to another one. But there was Chuck Hansen that started out for my dad. And they all had an act. They were all funny. And these guys just stand around the arena and they put the camera on. That was uh that was quite a quite a day back in the fifties and the sixties. Especially the fifties, because there ain't no telling what you'd see go on at one of them rodeos. Right. There wasn't no self cell phones to get anybody in trouble back then was there i think that's the best bull riding training tool i've ever seen turn a lion out in the arena (laughs) ride the bull or get Uh, off and deal with the lion get bucked off and deal with the lion on the ground i'd i'd stay on (laughs) i'd ride that bull through the stripping chute yep there was a guy named elliot calhoun he come to drango and he worked every event Robbed the bank when he left town. <laughs> and went to Valdez. Went to Valdez, Alaska, and become very wealthy. Him and Blocky Rutherford, they used to come over here. These rodeos, they headed to Alaska. And they all done very well. Back in Cheyenne in the day, Alan, did you camp out at the fairgrounds there? Did you stay in town? What was it like when the rodeo wasn't going on? What did you guys do? <laughs> well, downtown, <laughs> yeah. downtown, they had the Cowboy Bar. And we were staying at a hotel, and Casey had just done this movie. He had to gather all them horses he had up for Dakota on the Indian Reservation. So he took Indian Jack Hart up for some guys, and he swam his cousin's gray horse across that river, flood stage. Now, Casey can't swim two, two feet. He swam that horse plumb across that river. But he was at Cheyenne, and he had a punch bowl. And he'd have this guy pour some liquor in it, and this guy pour a pine in it. And a, well, there was a big football player from Laramie come up there. And Casey went to run him off. And Casey wasn't doing very good, so there was a guy named Morris Laycock up there who made trailers. He was supposed to be real handy. This is back in the 60s. And anyway, that guy was kind of moving on Morse pretty good. And I said, well, I may well have some of this. And I come up and got behind him, took him outside. Well, I'm working a little bit on him. And I could move a little bit pretty good. So the Air Force Academy come out there and they brought about four of them German shepherds out of the van. <laughs> I went back inside, went upstairs and took a shower, combed my hair. <laughs> come downstairs and Casey had his arm around the guy drinking out of the punch bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what happened? 
He said, well, he didn't say nothing to the cop. So Casey thought he was all right. <laughs> Boy, howdy. I wonder what they, I wonder what him and Casey did with that time. They, he drove them to Deadwood when they got there. I can only imagine rolling into Deadwood, South Dakota with Casey Tibbs. You wow. know, he's yeah. definitely the hero of the state about that time. Yeah, they, Deadwood didn't have too many rules back then either, I don't think, Jimbo. No, oh. we we checked in the hotel and everybody knew him, you know. And then in 67, I went in the world. Marty Wood was the Easter, Easter Seal chairman in Canada. And... Uh, I flew up there and I went to I think a McDonald's hotel or one of them big hotels. Well, here in the bars, Casey and Marty Wood and some awful good-looking girls. And they'd been a party in a while. And so uh, I just joined in with them. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a pretty good evening. Oh, man. <laughs> You know, Casey broke his pelvis, and he come back, and he had a great horse at the Cow Palace on a Saturday night, and he rode the horse for about six, seven seconds. The horse showed him out in front. He lit on his back, but he kept the hack rate. The horse went back went by him, pulled Casey to his feet, and he was going to jump back on the horse. <laughs> and Cotton Rosser come and took the rain away from him. Now, if he'd let him jump back on that horse on a Saturday night, they'd still be talking about it. I imagine. Wow. You know, him and Bush bomb in the middle of the winter up there broke a bunch of horses. They didn't have no crails, no nothing. And then they they found the bucking horses. They took to Kansas for Ken and Gerald Roberts, and they tried them all out. They rode every one of them. You can't get them guys to do that today. No. No, Casey was a rock star, that's for sure. He was uh Vegas there one time and a little down on his luck and he you know, always dressed nice, but he had this polyester suit and there was a thread hanging out on the lake. And I had a cigarette lighter, I said, I'll get it, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> he went to moving real fast. He said, No, leave it out and he said, It's okay, it's okay. Oh my! You know we got they had a deal. They had a deal that they was going to roast him at Vegas, and I didn't get to go. Uh, Benny Binion, when Steve Wynn, Benny Binion only had twenty-seven rooms at the Horseshoe. And when Steve Wynn built a golden nugget, Benny says, I've got a lot of rooms now. <laughs> <laughs> so he got Merle Haggard going to play. And Merle has been a duck in a bunch of 
gigs he had. So I was there when Benny called. He said, now, Merle, I got some money, Bill, that you'll beat this kid named Straight. So you got to show up. Well, he did, and Benny and I had to go over and listen to him practice, you know, with his gang. And it was awful interesting. So Benny wanted to get him a hat. I went out to Cowboy Christmas. It was at the Tropicana and got him a nice cowboy hat. He didn't like it. I said, Merle, you got to go back with me tomorrow evening. Because I knew he wouldn't be moving in the morning. <laughs> so I walked in there with Merle Hager. You ought to have seen the look on their face. Well, he cut the rim off and pushed the crown up. So we're coming back. And he wanted me to get him something to smoke. I said, Merle, I don't know nothing about that smoking. <laughs> but I know a guy or two around there probably does. <laughs> I'll tell him. So then he said, what do you do with the hat? And I said, he cut the brim off, squeezed the crown. <laughs> he, said, all, he said, all them short guys want to look taller, don't they? <laughs> So, I Ramblin' Jack Elliott opened for him there at UCLA, there at Burbank, California. I mean, on the other side of Beverly Hills. And he had a ticket for me. This is 20 years later. He's got this kid named Ben. And he just was with that gal when he was in Vegas. Now, this Ben's supposed to be one of the greatest musicians there is. He sings with his other two brothers. But uh, somebody come and got me and says, Merle wants to see you at the bus. I'm the only guy he let on that bus all night long. We sit out there and talk for two or three hours. And... Uh, you know, I I enjoyed him. I don't know if I like to hang around the musicians all the time, but I enjoyed Merle. He had a lot of talent, you know. Oh yeah. They, uh, but it was funny. I don't know whatever happened on Benny's bed. He told him he had, but at least he got him to town. <laughs> Now, you know, that was funny. See, back then when they started the Cowboy Christmas, now there's five or six of them out there, isn't there? They're all over town. Yeah. You, you can't even get into them. I know it's crazy. Unless you go for the whole thing, you can't even get to them all, Jimbo. Well, you know, that, that goes back to like Oklahoma City. You know, when they go shopping... For a day or two, they, they were no other places to shop. And who would know that them people fly in from all over 
say they're going to the rodeo of Vegas. They never leave the hotel. That's right. Who would have thought? Did you did you guys have all this in the plans? Did you in your wildest dreams, did you think that the whole city would embrace the national finals rodeo and it, and it would just turn into I mean I guess they named it adequately Cowboy Town during the uh, National Finals Rodeo because everywhere you go, everybody's on board with it. You know, no matter what walk of life they are or anything, it seems like everybody is happy to see the rodeo come to town. Well, the Hell Dorado years ago, you know, I went it was crowded. And I was a horseback and I was down there looking this guy listening over at another guy. And the sheriff come and got me and says, come up here at this other end. Alan, he didn't, didn't want me to stir up nothing. Listen, the, the prize fighter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'd seen him at the dog track over here at uh, Loveland when I was in college. And, uh, you know, when they had the Hell Dorado, all them people would come out of their casinos and dress up like a cowboy or a cowgirl. But back in the day, you couldn't get them and invest any money outside of the casino. None. It was just, they just wouldn't do it. So, because uh, they, they didn't think there was no business outside. So when Benny bought it there, he had 270-some tickets, I believe, back at the chutes there on that one side. And uh, a couple of my friends quite well be. I said, you need to get some rodeo tickets. Oh, hell, Alan, you can always get into a rodeo. Hmm. Well, then you couldn't. So I had 10 tickets a day. I give them away, and I hear very little from the people that I did. Uh, I give kids and families ride to the rodeo and the limousine. and But uh, I've I seen it coming, but I didn't think it was this big, and neither did nobody else. Well, it's so big in Las Vegas now, you know, a couple of years ago, they got outbid money-wise to move the national finals down there to to buy Orlando, Florida, Jimbo. And Vegas yeah. is so powerful, they retained it without even putting up as much money as they were going to in Orlando. So that says something for them. Well, uh, the Hearst lady that was very big at the Cowboy Hall of Fame her husband, Jack Cook, was chairman down there for years, Oklahoma City. She sent me to a board meeting over there in Denver. And they wasn't going to let me in. Uh, Benny Butler was screaming the worst. And there was this Edelman there, a trick rider. Ended up going to the penitentiary on the Balco deal. They appointed him commissioner. So we go in there and he asked me if I was religious. 
and I pointed to Pike's Peak. I said, I've been closer to the Lord than you'll ever get. I said, I camped up there one night in this canyon that lightning arced back and forth all night long, and my hair went this way, this way, this way. I've passed all over these mountains above Timberline, and I've seen some things that you'll never see. I don't wear it on my sleeve like some of you do. But anyway, he had this stock contractor from up at Greeley going through the books. And before you knew it, they were both in the penitentiary. The Cowboys was calling in the office and the Cowgirls. They didn't get enough time on TV and never worried about where all the money went. And that's when WW had stuck by the PRCA in Vegas for years, money or no money, furnishing panels. And then this kid makes a deal, goes away, and makes a deal with the other company they got now. So, I don't know who's running that deal or who's going to run it. I never was a fan of Sean Davis. They talk about great bronc riders. I've seen Kenny McLean. I've seen Casey. I've seen Alvin Nelson. I see Larry Kane, Winston Bruce, Marty Wood, the Tasher Boys. Uh, the thing, the thing that gets me is they get these commissioners and they don't know where the money went, and nobody cares. They don't seem, don't seem like it. Well, most uh, of us cowboys aren't known for our business sense anyway. Well, uh, you know, when Dale Smith and them guys in there, uh, it was all for the cowboy. And then when guys like Mac Baldridge with uh, Ronald Reagan that worked for Scoville, he's seen a chance for them zippers and them wranglers and all that, the Western deal. Well, you see what's happening right now. There's no justice like there was. There's no Tony Lamas like there was. It's all corporation owned. You go to the finals in Vegas, it's corporation. They want to know where your card is. Back in the day when the Gangsters was still there. You could get a lot done. And a lot more friendlier. Yeah, I don't know I'd, if I'd much rather do business with a gangster than most of these corporate guys nowadays. They're pretty much gangsters, I think, anyway. Most of the corporate guys, they're bigger gangsters than the gangsters, Jimbo. Most of the Vegas yeah. people will tell you that 
Vegas is better off when the mob ran it, you know. Just turn, just turn on TV and watch Pelosi and Biden. Yep. Oh yeah. You know, and they just keep going. Jimbo, we should ask him the question. We can ask him the question about two or three different things on this deal. I think about rodeo in general. What are we going to do? You should ask him. Alan, we do a thing on here called the Mount Rushmore. If you were doing the Mount Rushmore of rodeo, who would you put on it? You got four people, four faces up there. I'd have no idea nowadays. Benny, well, I mean, no, just all of all time. I think we should put Benny Binion on there. Well, uh, and Harry Vold, that's two of them. And Casey Tibbs. Well, I, Casey I Tibbs got to go Harry on there. Vold. I don't know if Harry Vold is that great or not. Uh, I have some reasons that I'd like not to talk about today, but uh, Harry Knight was a hell of a guy. What about Benyon? Uh, Can we put Benyon on there? Well, you know, he done a lot for the Western people. And there wouldn't be a Las Vegas uh, NFR if it wasn't for him, correct? Well, there's, there's, yeah, and there's one thing people don't know. They run him out of Dallas, but he still had his banks. And Mo Dalitz and them guys needed money. And that's one thing I don't know about Ben Binion. He furnished a lot of money to build a lot of them other hotels. And I think at one time we were sitting down there, he said he held a note on almost every one of them joints at one time or another. We got and Harry he only Knight. had 20... He only had 27 rooms until he bought, he bought the men. Now, that's quite a story about how he got the men. But uh, out at the Stardust one time, he come out there looking for a money guy. I mean, the guy invested. And so he takes this guy back to Horseshoe and they went to bed, and if he had five million, ten million, whatever, the guy come back late at night. There was a hundred and twenty-three million laying in the cage floor. Guys, wow, that's a lot of money and back when then. The sheriff's department needed a lot of money right today. The money, when the sheriff's department needed some money, they'd go to Benny. And they had a new sheriff there one time, and Benny picked up his ticket down there and arrested. That guy said it might not help, Benny. He said it might not hurt, neither. You know that bronze they have of Benny Binion, the, the guy that owns the South Point, I read something the other day that he saved that bronze. They were going to, uh, they had taken it down, and it was in real bad shape, and, and he took it and and got it back to good condition. I, I guess they have it there in the South Point now. Well, it couldn't have been too bad shape. It's bronze. Probably had some pigeon shit on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it was covered uh, in it. 
Now, when Billy Bob went broke, I was sitting there. And he said it was at Billy Bob. And I was sitting there. And he says, uh, 50,000. Somehow, Benny Bob, Bob got 50,000 bought on that broad, which he wasn't supposed to. And I said to one of his daughters, I said, God, oh my. So there was a guy back there in construction, Texas, that wore them gold buttons like Benny. There was three of them guys. I knew all three of them. Wore them gold buttons like Benny, and they had to come from Benny. So, went to Fort Worth, loaded up the bronze in the middle of the night. We're headed out to Santa Rosa, New Mexico. This truck driver says, I must have had too many Bennies. He meant pills. He said, a guy passed me a horseback going 80 miles an hour. <laughs> so, we took it out to the old ranch where they were going to bomb. Then he moved it down there by the parking lot. And then they got Mr. Gong to take it out there. But... uh Deb Copenhaver's daughter's the one that done that bronze. Boy, howdy. I always used to love it when they'd uh, bring him out in the floor of the finals rodeo in his stagecoach wearing his buffalo coat. I even got me a buffalo coat because I, I thought it was so cool. I sold my buffalo coat a year ago. It cost $2,000 to get it sewed up. Because you got to have them out of the hop. I bet you're yeah. missing that coat now. Wishing you wouldn't have sold it. Well, I had it hanging, and I'm getting some age on me. You know, uh, this is a different story. They brought this old lace of sweet corn into this valley. And, uh, I had two real good stallions here. And that airplane across the road on my grandpa's place sprayed them horses and made four out of seven days. A lady sent a team of scientists here. Eight to 23 over EPA standards with six different chemicals. I got sick. I had prostate cancer. I got so I couldn't even walk. I got both knees done the same day. And then he comes and sprays me with H and orange. I mean, with the glyphosate. And a year ago, July, they sprayed this ditch right by my house. I went out there in the morning at 6.30 and take pictures of it. I come in and sit down. I couldn't get up for five or six hours. I was paralyzed. 
I fell down four or five times trying to get to bed. I couldn't walk without a stick or two for two months. Oh. Arms and some hands and stuff. My left hand was like a claw. I couldn't walk. Work. Legs is numb, and the Department of Agriculture finally come out last October that it was 245T, which was in H and Orange. It's illegal. Wow. I said to the sheriff, well, what are they doing with it? So the other day, I called the senator with a pistol. I went up to see her assistant. She ain't going to do nothing. I see on the phone last night, her and her husband had a big deal. He was drunk, run over some mailboxes up there. But there's live water right here west of me. This dry creek runs about, oh, I'd say 15 miles, and it comes into Delta, Colorado. The reason they call it Delta is because the river comes into the Gunnison River. It's there. And then it goes into Grand Junction. The reason they call it Grand Junction is it goes in the Grand, the Colorado River. Well, when I was out in California, I got a gal that was really good on computers. The government tested this creek in 96 and 98. It's got 16 pesticides, 13 herbicides, three insecticides. I tried to find some new information lately. They haven't retested it in 24 years. They sprayed the immigrant workers right up there by my house. They told them to get back in the house. It was soap and water. And where do I find the results from the Department of Agriculture? I find them in Sacramento, California. They covered them up. So I'm just now getting where I can use my left hand. Still got a lot of nerve damage from that spray. I can't get a word. The sheriff's department does nothing. The sheriff's departments are useless anymore. And uh, can't get an answer yet from the Department of Agriculture. They know it's illegal spray, but they don't want to answer nothing. But they've poisoned this whole valley. When they bring the cattle and the sheep in in the fall, when they pick this sweet corn, they only pick the top ear. They leave the little ear. And they went to put cattle and sheep on these fields. And they went to dying from that sweet corn stuff. They don't do it no more, but they did for several years. Lost a lot of cattle and sheep. So that's what's going on here in this valley. Wow. It's so I haven't been able to. Some people wanted me to go to Cheyenne, and I didn't feel like going. I'm just. I'm just now getting some strength back in my legs and arms, and it took a year. 
from that ancient orange, and I've seen a dozen doctors. I point at their computer. I tell them there's a veterans hospital in Grand Junction. Why can't they look up and see what ancient orange does to people? They just look at you. You know, um, back to Mr. Binion, uh, it's a shame. I talk to some of these cowboys and say, well, who won the rope in Cheyenne? I don't know. Well, who won this? I, say, I don't know. Well, did you see anybody? No. Didn't see nobody. Well, it cost $25 to park at Cheyenne. I don't know what the ticket is, but you see there on TV this year, the bleachers used to be full of cowboys, wives, and ranchers. There was nobody in the bleachers. They tell me a year or so ago, they quit giving companion passes away for guys' wives and stuff. I don't know that as a fact. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't want those guys camping around there all week like they used to, you know. Um, the trailers and the rigs are too big. They can't handle all the, the traffic coming in and out is what they told everybody. Yeah, they'll tell everybody anything. I was there when that jet wrecked and cut them bulls in half. Yeah, I forgot the about thunder- that. The Thunderbirds was going to show up, and it was raining. Missed it. And I was trying to get Jimmy Conn and some of them guys up in the morning. I was on the balcony of that hotel. I heard these two booms. I thought maybe the Carnival's gas tanks had blowed up. Anyway, that jet got the hydroplaning on that wet surface and they throwed the fire to it and they that nose of that jet tipped down and where they parked all them people's campers big parking lot it went plumb through there and never hit a trailer it went across the racetrack went under them two bulls and cut them bulls right in half and hit the stripping shoots. And I got over there early and the, the first boom I heard was the navigator in the back. Well, it shot him out pretty straight. He went over the crells and hit the hot dog stand. Killed him. He still had his feet on. The other boom, the pilot went over the grandstand. He's hanging on wires in the arena with still his feet on. Well, that was the two rockets that ejected him out of there. So that was quite a deal. That's pretty. I never heard that story. Yeah, I, I thought I'd heard all them old Cheyenne stories. Yeah. I guess there's just too many of them. Too many. Every one of them, Jimbo. Well, you know, I'll tell you one that's 
I'd bought that stud horse up at Shidler. There's not much up there, you know. Right. And uh, I was in the motel and I had my wallet and pistol stolen. And uh, there's some people brought their kids up there every year. It's a one armed bandit's family. <laughs> And they headed back to Oklahoma, stopped somewhere to have lunch. And they had one of them recessed windshields down in the hood. And it went to rain and they turned the wipers on. Here come my wallet. <laughs> they got a hold of mom and I wrote them a letter and thanked them. And then I got my pistol back about 10 years later. But they wouldn't tell me where they got it. Hmm. I just laughed. Might have had two arms back then. Huh? That might have been the days when he had two arms. Yeah, that was. <laughs> just a kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to well, get back to this Mount Rushmore rodeo. So far, the only person you got on there is Harry Knight. We done said Casey Tibbs. You didn't say nothing about that. And. I said Binion, and you wasn't for sure about putting him on there or not. I'd love to see where they put Benny everywhere, but um, who's going to fund it? Well, that don't matter. we got to figure out who we're, who we're putting on it before we can fund it. Yeah, we're not going to pay. This is just going to be for fun. Yeah, this is, just, this, this is just for fun. We're not really building the Mount Rushmore Rodeo, but we just – Wanted to right. get who your just who your opinion is who who should be on there. Well, they haven't brought up Casey, huh? Well, you haven't. You haven't. Well, uh, you know, Bush Bomb was pretty good. He come from up in the had a motel there at Mobridge for a while. They. Uh, Well, you know, Benny Binion. Uh, they asked him uh, about the modern-day cowboy compared to the old-time cowboy. And he says, well, he just likes what kind of people they're raised from. There was no difference to him. But he knew there was a difference, but he wasn't answering that away. To some of them old timers at Miles City would ride 20 Bronx a day, you know, at that bucking horse sale. You ever been to the bucking horse sale in Miles City? No, uh, I, something always come up. Uh, but I know, I know a lot about it because those guys talk about it. You know, uh, you know, Benny Binion really helped Cotton Rosser and them guys on the West Coast with that stagecoach because everybody had talked about it. Where is that stagecoach at now? 
I think Mr. Gong has got it. Don't they still bring it out during the finals? Well, I see it. I see it. Um, the guy that was driving it, Smith. left Las Vegas and he had a gig in Denver and they put a tape over Benny Binion's name and it was Blackhawk one of them gambling deals and it was the Black Horses and Stagecoach and Becky the daughter called me wanted to know if I'd go over there and identify that coach I said, now, wait a minute. Mike Servey's a contractor, and he's been a contractor for years. He knows for months, when you've seen him in Vegas, that that stagecoach was going to be there with a different name on it. So why would I get involved? That's what those guys do after all the years. Benny helps them. They take the stagecoach, put another name on it, and take a bunch of money and stick in their pocket. You know, that stagecoach today, original stagecoach, I don't know what it costs today. $100,000 or better, I'd say. Oh, I think so. That harness costs. 200 some thousand that come out of Canada. <laughs> so, uh, what's your neat though, Jimbo? You know, they had a disagreement, them daughters. You know, Brenda just passed away, they just buried her last week. She's a uh, grandmother of that Jamie Johnson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They really changed the game with that Cowboy Channel. What do you think about the Cowboy Channel, Alan? I think it's ruined rodeo. Yes, sir. You see the cattle? I don't know how they furnish them little milk and calves. The bulldog and steers will be 150 pounds different. Some run, some don't. Some of the calves run, some don't. You used to not, they were more even. Now they don't care. Nobody's holding them accountable. And them things they tried to trip at Cheyenne was plum pathetic. And the horses, heads up high, no rate. They don't know what rate is anymore. Them horses just run out there and run into them steers. No rain, no cow, no nothing. The cowboy has took the cow out of the horse. Well, we know what Alan thinks of the Cowboy Channel. He don't like it. Well, I, uh, uh, I, I just think that uh, I think when you take 
the crowds away from like Salinas and Cheyenne. Why would a guy go pay $25 parking ticket plus a ticket to get in there when he stay home and watch it on TV for nothing? Well, I don't know. The atmosphere of it. Get to see it firsthand, the things they don't show on TV. Go to the carnival. That's what I used to do. (laughs) I used to to get lost over at the carnival. It's turning into the carnival. But here's what else I think about it. You know, uh, kind of a celebrity deal, like when they went to Fort Worth, they wanted who who around and all that, but you know when you uh, you take this money away from towns like Cheyenne with nobody in the grandstand, you're losing the sport. And I heard that last commissioner, the caterpillar guy. They never did say why they got rid of him. That. Cowboys need to be like football players. They need to know who they are. Well, anymore, they don't hardly know who football players is. They're not going to make a bunch of Cowboys like football stars with this TV. When you take all the money away from the town, nobody in town for a week, I don't know how they can do that. You don't think it's going to make more people want to go to that rodeo after they see it on TV and they wonder what it's like in real life? Not anymore because it don't make a difference to them. I'd much rather go to Disneyland in person than watch it on TV. Someone else have all the fun. Well, I think Mickey Mouse is out too. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's like Benny Binion used to say, kids learn to ride horses in them westerns, in them B-movies and stuff. Now, you'll never see a western like them old westerns. Never again. You like team roping, bulldogging, or steer roping better for yourself? Oh, you know, I like this. Steer roping. I made more money at one time before I tore my knee up roping calves. But, um, you know, back in the day, and Wyoming didn't have all those big steer roping. And like Post and Angelo, you can't beat steer roping if it was like it was in the 50s, 60s. Because it was a, your horse had to be good. It was a different event. You had to, there wasn't no harem and scare them here and there. You had to go do something. Did you hear that uh, Angelo dropped steer roping from the roping fiesta? I heard that. They're going back to the... Did you ever go to the bulldog in there when they were having it there? 
and compete? No. No. But I, I tell you one thing, I seen one of the rich guys had a lot of horses. And I was going to say, well, let's see what kind of horse he's got a giant. Now, this was a hundred year deal. This is 26 years ago when I was there. Let's see what he's got. Well, he rode somebody else's horse. And he first year, he went way past the bucking shoes. Tied him down at 20-something. And I'd hear them phony people say, Boy, you made a nice, smooth run. A businessman's run. Well, he's rich. He didn't have to win anything. I think you got some of them rich guys don't have to win anything. They like to tell everybody they're a steer roper today. Boy, howdy, that wasn't ever me, Jimbo. I had to win something every right. time. <laughs> right. Me getting home depended on winning a little something while I was there. I had to win something to get out of town. <laughs> you know, and you got to meet so many of the big ranch people as a steer roper. You know, the lady that sold the four sixes used to give four or five thousand for me in the Calcutta. I'm the first guy that took Dash for cash to the gates at Rio, at Rio Dosa when he ran in the All-American trial. Well, what a life Mr. Keller's lived, Jimbo. About as interesting as anybody we've ever talked to, Alan. He is. We, there's well, so many little segments that we've just breezed by where we could talk for hours about that one thing, I feel like. Oh, I know it. Well, we could talk about when Peckinpah wanted me to go to police in Guatemala. Back there when all of North and all of them was there. We could talk about that one day. When are you going to come down to Pasco and see us, Alan? Well, I want to do that sometimes. The, the pig stand ain't there no more. No, pig stand not there anymore. But yeah, there's a, there's something down there something. where the pig stand was. There's a trailer serving hamburgers. Yeah, but it's not the same. I know what you liked about it. I mean, I, I remember how it was back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. I'll let you know. But we're just really tickled and, and proud that you took time out of your day to talk to us today, Alan, and and. Uh, I know there are a lot of people out there that really be glad to hear this podcast and catch up on what you've been doing and everything, and we just really appreciate I, it. I enjoyed talking to you, and good luck with the museum. Hey, let's get that Mount Rushmore of steer ropers from him, Jimbo. Maybe it'll be easier. Who's the best? Well, who would you put on the Mount Rushmore of steer ropers? Only four names, Alan. Well. Four faces. You got Choke. No brainer. You got Tricky McLaughlin. He's right up there. That's an honor. Uh, uh, you know, uh, what about Bob Crosby? Well, I wasn't around him, none. I've heard a lot of stories about him. Well, I wasn't around uh, George Washington either, but I think that his place on Mount Rushmore is deserved, so 
I don't know. Did you ever see was, Everett Shaw rope, Alan? Or was that way before your time? There was. Uh, I'm trying to think of this guy's name in New Mexico. Wrote a bunch of ropes and stuff. About Sonny Davis. No, uh, before Sonny, he drank quite a bit. What about Cotton uh, Lee? Cotton Lee. Cotton Lee. I heard that he set the arena record at Cheyenne back, and he was faster than everybody for about 30, 40 years of it. They wanted him to check some screw worms and some cattle. and wanted to give him some good horses. He said, no, I'll these old But I'd heard a lot about Cotton Lee when I was a kid. Seen him a time or two. Uh, I crude. You got to put I crude somewhere. Definitely got to put Ike Root on there. What about Guy Allen? Forget about him. What about Clark McIntyre? Clark was good. Everett Shaw. You got to put Clark Everett Shaw somewhere. We can only pick four. Who? I said you can only pick four of them. I'm just throwing some names out there for you. Yeah. You know, uh, Everett Shaw, I, I watched him, you know, and then he was always flagging at Cheyenne. He was always a highly respected man. Yeah, he was. Well, it's tough to pick four names to go on that Mount Rushmore steer open. Well, there's uh, a bunch of them young guys I don't know nothing about, but I don't know if they'd had a horse enough on their big steers or they'd been cowboy enough on their big steers. I think Scott Snedeker, he could tie steers with just about anybody. Boy, that guy can rope good. Yeah, he does rope. It ain't his fault they're roping little steers. No. Well, you know, the horse is the main thing. For sure. For sure. They don't don't seem to have the body and the depth and the soundness in these horses they used to have. We never injected no hoss. Well, they I don't think they they don't they don't put the miles on them like they used to. I don't think to to let a horse learn how to protect himself. I don't guess that's the only thing I can figure. Well, they put a lot of miles on some of them. ranch horses before they went to roping on them. Well, back in the day, it used to take years to make a steer horse. Now they're roping steers the same month they you know they're hauling them the same month they start them. I know. I don't know. Uh, they better all have sponsors, much as gas costs. Isn't that the truth? Entry fees. The steer rope and entry fees, they've always been pretty expensive, though, haven't they? Oh, my God. When you had to send your money ahead of time to Post and Angelo and the 600 here or half of it here and there, Bit you'd Johnson. have five, 6,000 laid out before you left the house. 
back Boy, in the day. Heck, it's still the same way. You still got to send your forfeits off to all the big ropings. And then, guess what, Jimbo? If you don't go, they keep that money. That's the reason they call it a forfeit. That's right. Well, what, I, are, they, what are they charged for cattle? I think it's about $55, $60 a run now, stock charge. Back in our day, they never charged a dime. Well, I think eventually they end up having to charge a stock charge to keep because the rodeo committees weren't going to pay the steer open stock charge along with everything else. So to have a steer open, that's what it ended up well, having to do. They've let some of these rodeo committees get too strong. It's just like, uh, now listen, it's just like at Denver, I took them to court eliminating cowboys. This is a right-to-work state. And I tore up a knee. But the stock contractor wants less cattle. The judge said I could work the rodeo. Then the judge come back late at night and said I couldn't work the rodeo because other people didn't have time to get there for the slack the next morning. But he advised me to continue my suit in his court because right to work, and I'd want it. It was the stock contractor, stock contractor at Denver that tried to stop it so he could put it on cheaper. Now, I didn't want to sue the cowboy. So I, I didn't go on with the suit, but I could have won the suit. You could win it today because you've got a right to work state. Just eliminating these cowboys when they belong to association, I don't think it's quite right. What do you think about these right boys out of Utah, this family of bronc riders? You ever seen anything like it? Well, I don't know what else they'll be able to do. That's all they've ever done. It's a big old family, and they just they just keep coming. You know, pretty soon half of the field at the NFR is going to be right boys or relationship. Well, them, them kids have got kids now. Yep. There's some yeah, of them don't right. even look like they're old enough to drive, and they got grown kids already, Jimbo. Right. I know. They ride good, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of kids out there ride good, and sometimes they ought to wear a blue shirt because I think that blue shirt gets three or four extra points sometimes. Well, that's the private way it's always been throughout the history of rodeo. You don't think they gave Casey Tibbs a few extra points just for showing up to the rodeo? I don't know. It's going to keep getting that away, too. Well, they ride pretty good. They're pretty hard to deny. So, Yeah, they sure do. I'm sure they do get, since they are superstars of rodeo, they do pay extra special attention to them when they go. Yeah, there's a lot of these young kids riding them broncs pretty good, though, nowadays. Yes, sir, there are. I could care less about the fairback riding. 
Well, I've never been a big fan of the bareback riding. Ever. It seemed like it was more of a, a Wild West show event because they, you know, I don't know of any cowboy that they just went and jumped on a horse bareback without anything in their head, on their head, out in the middle of a pasture and tried to break him. Just never heard of it. You got to get something I, on their head. I used to get in a lot of wild horse races and they had to have a mane or a stick there in the mane. And I had me a little rigging one time, like if leather all of them got. Now they got that ungodly thing that sticks up for ten inches. Yeah, that's changed every, a lot to rigging. Every time they get a new tractor or something, they change it. I just don't know I, about that. I don't. I don't want to do it. I, no. I can tell you that, Jimbo. Every no. now and then, there's someone comes along, it's real good watching in that bareback riding. But I have well, a hard time getting into it. I talked to the Nazis. Mother, she worked up there at the doctor's office I went to and said you can't get the team ropers to agree on nothing. No, I've never hardly seen two cowboys agree on anything ever on how something should be ran. I'd like to see well, a, a slick horn catch in the team roping. They should go back to only slick horns in the team room. Be a lot easier to judge. And they just clean their sport up a little bit. It's just too sloppy sometimes. They might take a little better aim. Yeah, have to get a throw. I really, I really messed up. They had the steer rope in the finals at Pecos, Texas, and it rained. And it rained. And I was in the lead by a minute something. And I've been to California team roping. And I figure-aided this last year, which was legal. And I forgot about it. Uh, I jerked the rope off, roped them again, and that bottom loop knocked my rope off. And Don McLaughlin was sitting there. He went before me. He said, Alan, that first rope was legal. I said, it's too late now, Don. Could have won the final, you know? Yeah. Well, one time I forgot to put my picking string in my belt, Jimbo. Still had it around my, my neck. Didn't you have another it. one? It wasn't to win in the national finals, though. You're supposed to carry two picking strings. I know. I know. I did. I had them both around my neck. Oh, well, both of them. Uh -huh. Well, that was... I never seen so many calves in my life misstrung with these nylon strings. Well, it's easy to do if you're seeing dollar signs and you skip a step on what you're supposed to do. And you got to be seven. Well, I was at Pendleton and Ike Rude was getting some cotton picking strings tied up. And that's what I used all the time, cotton rope. Yeah, I remember those big cotton strings you used to use. They won't slip. Cotton rope won't slip like nylon. No, you put a, a, a big wrap and a half hitch on a lot of steers and the hell good, didn't it? Hey, well, guys, let's talk again sometime. Okay, well, you come down and see us, too, if you can. All right, I'll get a chance. I'll do that. Thank you, Mr. Keller, for taking time out of your busy day. 
to talk to us today. Yeah. We sure appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right. We'll be talking to you right. sometime in the future. Bye. See you later. Woo, Jimbo. That was a good one, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. You talk about some history. Holy moly. He was. He talked about Baby Doll, the bulldog and horse right off the bat. He's then, And then he... And then he... Uh, He's he's already hung up on us. We can we can say anything we want now. He is kind of like one of them old grouchy men. Uh, back in my day, we did right, this. Right. Back in my day, but you know what? They were really doing it back in their day, right. Jimbo. He was doing it. I mean, when you back up in the bulldog and you have an eight hundred and fifty pound steer, and right. you have an eight hundred and fifty pound steer in the steer open. I mean, it was different day and time back then. Just totally different. You can't compare the two. But what, boy, what a, what a history! What about? Yeah. He loads up with Casey Tibbs and someone else in a yeah. convertible car just and drives over them, that. Drives them to Deadwood. Yeah. Can you even imagine that trip? I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his first trips away from house, and he's with Casey Tibbs. I know it. I know it. Headed to Deadwood to the rodeo. Who else was in there? He said. Uh, yeah, I forget who it was, but major. He was a major. He, he knew left lefty Rosenthal, you know, and just all that kind of just like that was nothing, you know, and shoot. That was fine. Sam, was him famous. and Sam Peckinpah hanging yeah. out. Holy moly, we can There were so many things we that we wanted to talk about, but we had to keep moving on down right, the list. Right. We could have went into depth in a lot of that stuff. Absolutely. And being in on the ground floor, that Vegas NFR and all that, you know. Benny Binion. Hey, he said one morning he wakes up. Him and James Conn, Casey Tibbs, they're all laying around the room. and he Trying goes, to get him up, he said. I'm yeah. trying to get him up. <laughs> He's going and stretching on the balcony. <laughs> Man, now, you talk about somebody needs to write a book. Now he needs to write a book. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be a long one. He's going to have to narrow it down to just a few chapters somehow. You know, if he could only tell part of them Benny Binion stories. I know. He was trying to tell all he could, but I imagine there's a lot in some of them stories. You just better better off just keeping to yourself. Right, right. Even to this day. Yeah, especially that Lefty Rosenthal stuff. Just go ahead and use your imagination on some of it. Yeah. But anyway, you know, that's what we're all about, Jimbo, is talking to guys like that because they're not making Alan Kellers anymore. Nope. His day and time has, has came and went. And, you know, there's not a lot of documentation on some of this stuff. Right. Like, uh, I didn't even know that a jet airplane from the Thunderbirds or the Blue Angels crashed at Cheyenne one time. Yeah, I remember you know, when it happened. I wasn't there, but there's so many things that a lot of these guys have firsthand accounts on, and we just got to keep trying to preserve them, Jimbo. Absolutely, yeah. That's, that's like you say. That's what we do best, or what we're trying to do, you know. And now we've got it documented. Whether he writes a book or not, we've got a, a small percentage of it right here on. And you know what? No matter what day and age you're in, you can talk to any old baseball player, or football player, or, or wrestler, or anything, and it was always tougher in their day and they think that the guys these days have it a lot easier but you know why they do is because of these guys that came before them Mm -hmm. revolutionized the sport and they kept revolutioning it and uh we have what we got what we have today you know there's a lot of cowboys people know their names these days right but these older guys they need to learn their names well we'll jog their memory with this podcast because there's a lot of people remember Alan Keller. He's got more stories. Yeah. I read something the other day that this guy said they're still talking about Alan Keller around the campfires up here in Colorado, you know. Yeah, my dad, I just said, you know, Dad, we're at, we're doing a, a podcast with Alan Keller today, and he just started laughing. Yeah. So, and it was, uh, 
it was one of them last just like he knows Alan Keller and knows right. a bunch of stories on Alan Keller. Right, right. And, uh, what an interesting man. What an interesting life. For sure. He does need to write a book. I know it. Well, Jimbo, I guess we got to play our outward, our outgoing music. Let old Lane take us out. Everybody, until next week, this has been the Cowboys of the Osage podcast. We'll see you all next week. Stories like long lost friends, rodeos and late night bends, history before our time, round pens and pasture rides, cowboys of the Osage.